And welcome back to the Pet Cash Pod presented by Profluence Sports. I'm your host, Andrew Petcash. This is the 51st episode of my series where I interview founders, investors, athletes, and the smartest people in sports. We got a fun one today with guest Keith Blakely, the CEO and chairman of Encore Golf Technology. Encore has developed a golf ball that has a GPS tracking device inside its hollow core construction. The tracking device then pairs with a phone app to help find the golf ball, plus also provides data such as ball velocity, spin rate, spin direction carry, and much more. Keith is also the CEO and chairman of the Inventures Group, which is a hybrid consulting firm, virtual incubator, and investment firm located in Buffalo, New York. This was an awesome discussion around the future of golf, increased technological innovation entering sports, and Encore's unique business, plus their recent development story around tons of PGA players starting to use their Encore golf ball. Let's dive in. Keith, appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Got to start here. Well, first off, thank you for coming on. There's a lot of interesting things we want to get to. Got to start. PGA Tour, Live Golf. It's all going down. Perfect timing. You're in the golf world. You know, what are your thoughts? How do you see it playing out? And, uh, you know, what's the inside scoop from uh, the golf world? Well, I think it's certainly a fascinating development. Live came into the, uh, the tour world clearly as a disruptor, looking to make some improvements over what they considered to be the shortcomings of the PGA Tour, convinced a lot of players, both financially as well as I think from an experiential standpoint, that they could do that. And uh, even though the, uh, the viewership and some of the other metrics that are typically associated with success in broadcast weren't achieved, they nonetheless had created a number of interesting waves through the industry that forced some changes, which we saw in how the PGA Tour then decided to approach their players, approach the purses, possibly even approach the experiential side of things. And I think that that's all good for the game. Not exactly sure how it will ultimately play out. I know that there have been lots of articles written with interviews with some of the PGA players who feel like they were abandoned by the decision that Monaghan made. I have not heard a whole lot from the live side in terms of whether they're welcoming the opportunity to get back and qualify for PGA tour events, but I suspect they are. These are all, you know, top of their game athletes who want to compete against each other and against the best in the world. And they don't want there to be an asterisk by wins or losses for that matter. So I think it's good for, it's certainly good for fans to have a broader competition base than they had when the, when the two tours were competing against each other. And we saw that play out a little bit at Oak Hill, the PGA championship. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was great uh, to have a number of live players participating. And then of course to have Brooks win, I think uh, was just another example of the fact that you know, these, these guys were not has-beens, they weren't washed up. This wasn't just about, mm -hmm. you know, folks that, that weren't of interest to the general viewership. These were really fantastic golfers who, who wanted to continue to hone their craft and to demonstrate their skills, you know, in a, in a public way. Yeah. And the, uh, I'm sure some of them like the Rory's or maybe not even the Tigers that turned down those guaranteed contracts, they might be a little upset, but I think what's going to come out of it is there's a lot of potential now and a lot of firepower with them combining. 
Now, you being on the inside of the golf world, building in it, I guess first, give us a little insight into what you're building at Encore. Uh, tons of news articles coming out recently about guys using your technology with the smart golf balls. And then, uh, you know, kind of kind of what other initiatives you got in the space? Because it is, everyone wants to talk about your smart golf balls, but I know there's a lot of other technologies you guys are working on. Yeah, the, the, the genius ball, which has captured the attention, I think, of the media of late is really just one of several different, I'll say, representations of Encore's overall philosophy, which has been since inception to focus on how technology can improve the game of golf. And from the get-go, designing a hollow metal core golf ball that had the highest perimeter weighting you could possibly achieve, it was a demonstration that we weren't going to necessarily follow the old and conventional approach to products in the marketplace. The concept was great. By increasing the perimeter weighting in a golf ball, you were able to dramatically reduce side spin, which gave you straighter shots. You could also reduce spin decay, which gave you potentially longer shots. But there are other factors that, that go into the distance that a golf ball travels, trajectory about being one, spin rate being another. So ultimately, the hollow metal core design, although it delivered some performance advantages that were truly unique in the, in the game of golf, wasn't going to be something that attracted the attention of the better players. And we found ourselves modifying the ball construction to achieve perimeter weighting, but without a hollow metal core. And that came about because we were able to add guys to our engineering and, and research and development staff who had been intrigued by this disruptive technology, but wound up thinking that there were perhaps some alternative approaches that they could bring to the table. I'm not a golfer. I'm not from the golf industry. I'm a advanced materials entrepreneur, a startup guy for over 40 years. And so what I've done in my career has really focused on how do you take disruptive technologies and turn them into mainstream products or mainstream offerings. And this was no different from things that I had done previously. So it was kind of fun to see both how the market reacted, how the regulatory bodies reacted. When we introduced the hollow metal core golf ball, interestingly enough, even though it met every one of the five quantifiable metrics that the USGA and the RNA set out, they told us it was non-conforming, even though ostensibly, I'll say, you know, rationally it was. But ultimately, we were able to convince them that it was a ball that was not going to completely turn guys like myself into Tiger Woods and, and therefore was not a threat to the game. And mm -hmm. It wound up changing the rules of golf uh, with regards to golf ball construction for just the second time in about a century. But it also, in essence, educated us as to some of the challenges that exist yeah. in breaking new ground in what is a very traditional sport. So the, you know, the combination of, let's say more conventional designs, but with the perimeter weighting technology has actually had led to great success and uh, some significant interest in the company and in its product line. And while that has been growing over the last several years, um, and I'll say assisted in no small way by the pandemic, which uh, brought a lot more awareness and visibility to companies like Encore, who had taken largely a direct-to-consumer approach to the marketplace. And therefore, we already had a presence and, you know, an e-commerce site 
that operated very efficiently when people could not go to Dick's or Golf Galaxy or PJ Superstore. So, so it helped us in that regard. But it also, again, encouraged us to start thinking a little bit more outside the box in terms of other ways we could uh, improve golfers' enjoyment of the game, access to the game, um, education about the game, and so forth. And the Genius Ball was uh, a project that we started, I'll say, almost on a, on a whim. We'd always received emails and commentary on social media posts about how, you know, I love playing golf, but I hate losing golf balls. Can't you put a GPS chip inside a golf ball? And of course, over the last 20 years, there have been a number of patents that called out that general approach with different things, whether it was with RFID chips or whether it was with um, other kinds of homing devices, if you will. And nobody would ever commercialized anything. For a while, there had been something, uh, I think it was called Radar Golf or whatever, but you needed you needed a sensor the size of a brick that you had to carry around to try and locate your golf ball and really didn't make much sense. But about almost five years ago, we initiated a, a small program on Indiegogo uh, to see if we could in fact do something along these lines. And again, brought experts from the electronics world, from the golf ball world and all of that to the table to try and figure out uh, a path forward. Ultimately, and I, I like to describe it as a five-year game of techni technical whack-a-mole. We were able to address what we felt were the most important use cases, beginning with this is really a golf ball now that has the potential to inform and instruct a golfer as to how well they're putting, how well they're chipping, how well they're playing golf when they're actually out on the course, although the initial product is going to be designed strictly for 50 yards and in, but it will collect data that is measured directly from the ball's movement and motion and not something that's extrapolated from a launch monitor, which uses either radar or optical-based systems to try and guess at what's actually happening. So, you know, that's one of the areas the companies branched off into. The other is utilizing augmented... Uh, reality. And another is the use of artificial intelligence in helping golfers understand their swing mechanics and whether or not, you know, there are some areas that could use some improvement, which we all know is the case nonstop for golfers uh, always. And we're just about to launch a green reading app to assist guys uh, and gals to understand what, what the topography of a green is likely to mean in terms of the break of a putt. So again, tools that are based in technology, products that are based in technology that will ultimately make the game, we hope, more enjoyable for golfers of just about any age and any skill level. Yeah, I appreciate you taking us through the journey. What's the feedback been like on the ground from some of these players so far and, and you know, anyone that has been testing it out and, you know, what are they kind of looking for next? out of what they want you guys to improve or build upon? The initial demonstrations that we've done on, on this completed, I'll say completed technology product have been focused strictly on putting. And the, of course, putting's not the sexiest thing in golf, perhaps. You know, guys like to step up to the tee and send it 350 yards down the fairway if they can. But as most 
observers of the game know, the number of strokes that are on the green is significant. And so reducing the number of putting strokes is important. And that relates to both the equipment selection as well as obviously the putting stroke itself. And, and we wanted to basically start there because we knew that that would be uh, one of the areas that could have the most impact on someone's handicap or score. And that, uh, that's been a focus for that reason, along with the fact that it's very hard to buy any equipment that gives you a detailed information about your putting stroke, about the spin axis of the ball, about the distance that it skids before it actually starts a forward roll, uh, the, the launch angle of it, the velocity, you know, those are all things that if you go into a, a lab that has high-speed cameras or other launch monitor equipment, you could get. But if you're at home, all you're doing is, you know, putting a ball into a, a cup on your practice green. And that doesn't really tell you too much other than, yeah, I sank the putter, I didn't. Whereas we thought if we could help golfers, in essence, track the accuracy, the distance that they're trying to put to the spin axis and other characteristics, it would help them become more consistent and, uh, and better putters. So that's what we've been demonstrating at the practice greens, at the various uh, PGA events that we've been uh, lucky enough to be inside the ropes on. Um, and I will say that the response has been overwhelmingly positive and enthusiastic. We've had some of the leading putting instructors of professional golfers listen to what, you know, we're talking about presenting in terms of data, and they are all just so anxious for this to actually make it into the marketplace. The next step in that evolution of technology product will be to be able to present the same kind of detailed data on any kind of stroke that a golfer takes. Um, and so move into, you know, basically the, uh, what we call the, the 200 yard and in the, the par three type of utilization of the ball. It's a different set of of information that you're looking at that when you're putting, you know, you don't have any skid, obviously, when you're hitting a, a wedge shot or, or a sand shot, there's other information that's more interesting to you. And um, we'll be looking at, at presenting all of that in a very user-friendly and informative way. One of the things we think, I'll say that the casual golfer is not able to really appreciate is the, the data that comes from a typical launch monitor. Usually there's so much data and it's not really presented in a format that allows them to know whether they did something right or wrong, you know, that it becomes a bit challenging for it to be useful to them, even on a driving range. What we're hoping is that if you take this ball and play with it, the presentation of the, of the data, not only things like, okay, did it hook or slice, you know, what was the, what was the path that the ball followed, but also, you know, what was the apex, how, how high did you actually loft that ball? What was the carry distance? What was the roll descent angle? A number of different things that should be measurable will again, serve to inform and uh, instruct golfers as to what they did correctly, what they might not have done correctly. But of course it's only ball data. This isn't something that's going to replace a launch monitor because you're not getting observable information from the club itself only what the effect of the club on the ball is after it's been hit. Yeah, the, the mixing of 
and owning of both hardware and the data is important. It seems like you guys have both of that, which I think even Top Golf started to really expose. Like, just even though there's is more entertainment and less about actually getting better and more just like interesting data with the RFID chips and some of the things you talked about earlier. Just doing some research and piecing together, it looks like you guys are also opening some sort of like you know facility in Buffalo over the next couple of years. You know what what is the plans for that? Yeah, so that's another area that we had we had been approached by a group that wanted to build some golf entertainment centers, a la Drive Shack, Top Golf, Big Shots. You know those those kinds of, of venues, and they were looking for gol- a golf ball supplier. So that was how we were originally exposed to it. They were just looking to, to buy golf balls and we were happy to accommodate that interest. But as it turned out, building these things, designing, building, finding proper locations, et cetera, et cetera, is not, not particularly easy and kudos to companies like Topgolf who have been very successful in creating an off course interest in golf you know, as a result of their commitment to building these kinds of venues. We looked at it and said, gee, this is a great way for us to expand the the brand recognition. We wanted to, I'll say, take our, our licks with the first venue being one that we built in our backyard so that we knew what we were doing right, what we were doing wrong. And we had a partner and an investor in Knoxville who was willing to, to go along and take the same kind of risks that we were up here. So we do have two that are on the drawing board right now, one in Buffalo, one in Knoxville. I hope to have both of those open sometime next year. And uh, they will look different than a Top Golf facility does uh, or a Drive Shack or, or any of the others. Because in addition to them being, let's say, focused on the hitting bays and, and the landing zones for golfers, we recognize that for these things to really have, I'll say, the maximum interest and attraction in a community, they have to offer a broader, a more diverse opportunity of entertainment beyond drinking and eating. So mm-hmm. he, even though Encore is a golf-focused company, these venues are going to include a number of other elements that aren't typically seen, at least to our knowledge, in the other venues that are out there. And of course, in the years since Top Golf got started, been a tremendous growth in the kinds of entertainment that you can bring into a simulator bay, you know, or an indoor venue. You see groups all over the place, you know, bringing different types of putting experiences, different types of other sports experiences, whether it's soccer, baseball, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, even mini bowling and, and pickleball are you know, of a size that they can be accommodated inside these sorts of facilities. And we intend to take advantage of what other people have developed uh, in the, the decade or more since Top Golf really hit their stride. Yeah, that's awesome. And it makes a lot of sense to, to pursue that because like you said, you have a lot of the technology, which is, which most people don't realize the hardest part. It's not actually the venue or the food or the drinks or anything like that. Now, curious because uh, at InVentures Group, which maybe you should give us a quick overview of that, of what you exactly do. Because like you said, it's one of your first sports things with Encore. And then I kind of have a question based off of that, just kind of around some other things. But I'll let you kind of give us a quick overview of, you know, what the real, you know, where all this stems from actually at its root. So I've been, uh, I've been a startup 
entrepreneur since I was 24. The first business that I started, I grew from basically a one-person operation to about 375 people, but it took 20 years. And I had some great VC partners and I had some great board members and, and others. And that business, when it was ultimately sold, had three international joint ventures and three U.S. manufacturing operations. And as I said, lots of employees. And I went and uh, retired for six days and then started another one that we grew for about eight years to not quite the same size, uh, but, but not that far off. And after, after I left that company, I decided, okay, I've spent 30 plus years growing and managing large operations with lots of people. As a lot of entrepreneurs know, there's tremendous challenge in staying on top of all of the human resource and, and uh, you know, regulatory elements of running a business. It's not just, hey, I do what I want to do and, you know, that, that's going to work. So I decided instead to, to help others that were interested in starting businesses and we formed the Inventors Group, which basically brought together about a half a dozen people that I had worked with. One was a lawyer, one was an expert in web-based and digital-based things. One was a, a marketing person, another was a chief financial officer. And then with those experts and my capital and experience, we basically served as kind of a, I call it a marshmallow. We'd, we'd push ourselves up against a, a startup company's organizational chart and fill in the gaps and do that in a way that was very cost-effective because in most cases, we weren't taking cash out of the business. We were taking an equity stake and helping the companies reach a point of market readiness, product readiness, where they could go out and raise capital for themselves. And uh, then we would you know, be able to withdraw and let them hire their own staff and so forth. Encore Golf just happened to be one of about 20 different companies that I was assisting between 2009 and 2011. And it was one that became very interesting to me for a whole host of reasons, but eventually wound up needing more expertise and more capital than some of the others. And so I took a more full-time role in it. And it's been since about 2014, pretty much a full-time job. Yeah, that's cool. I'm probably guessing you maybe didn't expect like this one to maybe be one of those 20, but, uh, it being in sports, kind of like my question from before is, I think a lot of people could have recognized like, okay, golf needs a lot of this technological innovation. Obviously, golf balls was, you know, an easy one to kind of spot, but you guys went and did it because it's difficult, right? Are there any other technologies in the sport industry that you see that could use disruption or could use this, you know, not only hardware, but maybe even the backend software that are ripe for disruption? Well, there's still question that there's a lot of utility in gathering the data from every golfer's experience, whether that's data that comes from them practicing at home, data that comes from them being in a simulator or at a club fitting, or data that comes from them actually playing on course. And the data is interesting to all kinds of different people from OEMs who want to know, okay, how far on average do people really hit a golf ball or, you know, who's using, you know, um, multiple types of wedges as opposed to somebody that's just got a pitching wedge and a sand wedge in their bag, you know, 
learning and, and course operators that want to know what's the real pace of play and, and so forth. So finding technologies that and products that can help you capture information about the sport, about the participants in the sport, about the hard goods used in the sport and so forth, to me is something that clearly the industry recognizes and there are lots of different companies doing different aspects of it. Trying to bring as much of it together in one place is a focus that we have. So when you look at the Genius Ball, which will obviously capture data, when you look at Golf Boost AI, which is our swing analysis app, you know, those are certainly two things that can clearly be integrated and information compiled that we think will have value to a lot of folks. But there's a ring of additional products and software that surround those things that we're looking at partnering with or potentially acquiring that we think will, will further expand the story of, you know, what the sport's really all about and, and where there are opportunities for improvement. Very cool. Yeah. Now, Keith, uh, as we kind of wrap it up here, give us and all the listeners, you know, where they can find out more, where they can check out your golf balls, the website, socials, wherever you guys have stuff or anything else you want people to know, whether it's future and future initiatives or dates or, you know, any cool events or whatever it is. Sure. Well, of course, first and foremost, it's encoregolf.com and it's O-N-C-O-R-E golf.com. That pretty much provides a, a full picture of the products as well as providing some information, people who don't know you know, they're overwhelmed with the number of options that are out there in golf balls from us or from others. We do a club fitting or a ball fitting rather online that people can take and, and it will provide them with uh, recommendations for what ball they should be using to get the most out of their game. Uh, but I would say it's also a place where they can kind of join a community of people who, you know, are interested in golf for a variety of reasons. We're involved with junior golfers. We're involved with the Epson Tour, which is the feeder to the LPGA. We're involved with the Advocates uh, PGA, the APGA, which is minority golfers. And, and so, you know, we like to, to be as expansive and inclusive as we can uh, with folks who are interested in the game of golf and not simply uh, folks that might fall into the traditional or conventional demographic. We have, you know, social media pages, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Again, I think in almost all cases, it's just Encore Golf and pretty easy to find to follow the conversations or the, the events and the activities that are going on. We've been teaming up lately with some, uh, we'll say, more humorous and lifestyle-focused uh, organizations like Random Golf Club and Country Club Adjacent, a few of those, again, to engage with a different community than you would traditionally find at, at your local golf course. Well, I'm always on the lookout for not only innovative tech products and sports, but also, you know, cool people that have done a lot of cool things, not only in sports, but outside and you and Encore certainly fit that. So I appreciate you coming on today. It was a fascinating conversation and, you know, hope to see Encore more and more and more golfers using it. And, you know, who knows, who knows, probably only a matter of time before I'm out and on the putting green, you know, seeing why I'm three putting so much. There you go. Very good.